Opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good morning, you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Fighting for Love. This show will help you turn conflict into collaboration in all your relationships. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank, an attorney mediator since 1985. She's the author of several books, including Negotiations, Breakthroughs, and Fighting for Love. She's a mediator for the Orange County Superior Court Civil Mediation Panel, and she mediates business, employment, divorce, privacy, and other civil cases in her private practice in Laguna Niguel, California. Mari's a professor of negotiations and conflict management and has been a certified state bar trainer for over 25 years. She teaches leadership and conflict management courses at Brandman University and here at UCI, and she trains corporate leaders' powerful communication and conflict transformation skills. To learn more about the show and our great guests, please visit conflicthealing.com. Mari, what's your show about this morning? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about near-death experiences, and so many of the people that we've talked with about this kind of experience come back understanding that love is really the most important thing, and we talk about fighting for love on this show and what it means to love, and this is just a beautiful time to, um, to discuss this. And let me tell you, I've been reading this book called Heaven is Beautiful, how Dying Taught Me That Death is Just the Beginning. And this is by our author, Peter Baldwin Panagor. And let me tell you a little bit about Peter. He has an interesting background. Uh, Peter comes to us, by the way, all the way from Maine on the East Coast. So we thank him for joining us. He is the host of a daily two-minute inspirational radio broadcast on two NBC stations throughout Maine. He's an avid sailor, an expert skier, and woods trail runner, so he's very active out there, even though it gets very cold this time of year. And he, um, he is, uh, has, an English, he has an English degree from the University of Massachusetts at Amherst, and then he also has um, a... MD, um, Masters in Divinity from Yale Divinity School with a focus on systematic therapy and Christian mysticism. Along with his educational background and his 30 years of yoga and meditative practice and his work as a former pastor with dying and grieving people, uh, Peter has a unique language and insight after going through his own death near-death experience, and he has a very interesting perspective on heaven, God, death, life, beauty, and especially love. He's written for the Huffington Post, and he lives in Maine, as we, as I said. He's coming to us from 
beautiful Maine. And so we are just so happy that you're joining us to talk about Heaven is Beautiful. Thank you, Peter, for joining us. Thank you for having me. Peter, so let's let's talk a little bit. Let's first explain what happened to you back in 1980. I was a college student on exchange to Montana State University and had an opportunity to go on a 10-day snow cave trip with a, an outdoors fellow like myself. And we had a great time. And the last day of the trip was to be spent ice climbing, which I had never done. I'd snow caved and backcountry skied and done lots of that winter stuff. But I'd never ice climbed, and <clears throat> we went ice climbing. I was an experienced technical climber and mountaineer, but not ice climbing. And I made a calculation mistake in my equipment, which caused us to get to the top of the climb at sunset rather than hours before that, and that cascaded over the night into a desperate situation of frostbite and hypothermia. Mm. And long story short, I died of hypothermia while we were on our last rappel, uh, stuck uh, on our last rappel, about 150 feet up. So what happened then? Well, um, the hypothermia had begun much earlier in the, in the evening, around sunset, and we, through self-will and survival instinct, drove ourselves across the, and down the mountain uh, to save our own lives. But in the end, the rope got stuck up a crag in the dark around a corner. I couldn't retrieve it. Couldn't. Mm. It was one end was tied to me, but I couldn't. I couldn't. It was stuck, and I couldn't get the other end. And well, I, I got warm and uh, knew that I was stuck and knew that I was going to die. Could see the my immediate future. I knew that. God was present, I wasn't af- afraid because the inevitability of my death was so apparent that I kind of quit, I guess. Um, Surrendered? Yeah, and, but in the, in the moment when, it, when, it, when I began to fall asleep and fall off my perch, I was uh, harnessed on, I had a harness on and I was clipped into the mountain, but I would fall asleep and I would still fall uh, off a couple of feet. and. Mm. And then this last time I hauled myself up from, from sleeping um, and I watched the world fade to black like a, an old-time movie. My peripheral vision narrowed rapidly and I didn't understand what was going on and I felt myself fall and I didn't feel myself fall asleep. I, I felt that my, brain, my mind was still aware and then in front of me, uh, the mountain, I guess, a way to say it is that it vanished. My eyes were closed, but I could see into the beginning of infinity, and I watched as this uh, being, this amorphous, humongous, uh, a non-thing came to take me. And I resisted with all of my willpower against death, and, but, I, but I couldn't resist. I was weak comparatively, mm-hmm. and death just took me. And so at the, at the very last moment, um, I didn't quit. At the very last moment, I, I rallied all the resources that I had to resist, but they were inadequate. Mm. So then what happened? How, how did you come back? Well, I, I, I'll give you a little bit about what happened on the other side first. I, I came back because 
God gave you the choice to come back. But right. on, the, on the other side, it's timelessness. There's no time and there's no space and there's no thing. And yet I was a conscious entity and I could see in every direction this outer, greater darkness that was illuminated. It, all these contradictions of, of light and darkness that were the same thing. Um, and there was a gigantic door and I touched this gigantic door with my being, and it was it was living this this gigantic door. It had life force in it. Mm. And as I did that, I heard my name called from way down deep inside me. Um, but I didn't hear language, and I didn't hear words. I, I I heard my created name, and it infilled me. And immediately I knew that I was in the presence of God, who was next to me, but I couldn't see, who was communicating with me, but not in language, and directly into my being, because I didn't have any ears, and I didn't have a brain. Mm. And it, it's, it communicated to me that it, everything was known about me, mm. that I was completely known, and from the moment of my creation. And uh, in that knowing, I was infilled with beauty and love and truth and grace and hope, and there was all one thing, all twisted up together as, as one entity, not separate like it is here. And then, in the knowing of myself, I knew my uh, how, how I had hurt people in my life. And I experienced all of the pain that I'd caused everyone in my entire life from their point of view, all at once. And I could see every single person that I'd caused it to, and every single time that I did it, and justifications and no justifications in my own mind. And I self-judged myself as guilty, shameful, for having caused so much pain in the world. Mm. And I was humbled utterly. And meanwhile, this third perspective was coming into my head. The first perspective was all the people that I hurt. The second was my own self-judgment. The third was God saying, I love you, I made you, I know you. Nothing about this is news to me. I created you. Mm. I love you as you are. I love you as you are, and I forgive you mm. because I love you. And then I was infilled with all the love and the beauty and the hope and the truth again. And, and I think it's fascinating, the life review that you had. You and I were talking a few minutes before the show about uh, the books that I've read by Damon Brinkley, where he talks about the life review, and he talked about every time he saw all the people he hurt, he actually felt the pain. I felt the pain. Yes, yes. That's exactly what I meant to say. Yes. I felt all of their pain. Yes. And that, and that seems to me to be the essence of, of my brokenness as a human being, yours too, everyone's. Right. We all, we, we all cause each other pain. Some of it's intentional. Some of it's not. Right. And, and it's unavoidable. Right. So this happened to you in 1980. So, <coughs> excuse me. So y- you saw all this and you... And more. And more. <laughs> well, do you want to tell us a little more? You could sure. Tell us. I know there's uh, a lot more in your book, but... There you can is. Tell well, us. We, we can scope right, skip right over to your question if you want to, because it is all in the book. Right. No, no, no. That's okay. Tell us a little bit more. Well, I think that'll entice people to, to want to read us. Well, I said, I said to God, again, without language... Um, and culture or context even, I said, am I dead? And God said, yes, you're dead. Mm. And I said, well, I, I can't die right now. My 
my parents had lost my older sister. She had vanished when I when I was fourteen. Oh. And it it pretty much destroyed my mom and my whole family. Mm. And, uh, so it was the reason I was out in Montana was to get away from that. Mm. And and I said I I can't take another child from my parents. Mm. And God swept me over and showed me all of earth and everyone on it all at once. And I could see that the length of my life was the wink of an eye and that the length of everyone's life was the wink of an eye. And I could see every single person. Mm. And I could see that there was a veil in front of everyone. They were in the veil. The veil was them. And that prevented them from seeing the love, Mm. the, the incredible, immense, enormous, eternal love of God that I knew then. And God said to me, and showed me my parents, too, at the same time. I could see my parents suffering very mm. clearly and said, in the way that I love you now, you know now that I've always loved you this way from the moment of your creation mm. and that I always will love you this way and that I love every single person in this same way. And because of my love, all will be well. Mm. And I knew that that was true, but I still couldn't let my parents suffer in this life even more. Yeah. Even though I knew that in the end they were going to be well, just like I was. Right. Um, and so um, I said, do I have to stay here? And God said, no, you don't have to stay here. And I said, well, can I come back here? If I go back to life, can I come back here? <laughs> meaning, meaning, right, right I'm bargaining. <laughs> <laughs> Negotiating. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, you know, I've, I've, I, I, this is my one shot. I'm sticking around. Right, um, right. <laughs> because, because I, and I meant the, the heaven that was inside of me, right. which was bliss and paradise and every other word that we use. Um, and God said, yeah, you can come back here. Hmm. And I said, well, then I choose to live my life. And God said, you won't live your life. And the next thing I knew, I was being screwed what felt like being screwed back into my body painfully Mm. Mm. and uh i was completely disoriented not only in terms of where i wasn't on the planet but being in a body again right uh, not knowing how it functioned or who i was or what had just happened to me and my partner tim uh, who was an atheist had me by the shoulder uh, as i dangled yelling and it took me a few minutes to figure out what he was saying he was saying i thought you were dead you died don't Mm. die Mm. So what happened with your parents? I mean, did you tell everybody what had happened at that uh, time? Uh, no, no. no. The, uh, um, the next day we totaled the car, and I, I had to hit, we had to split up, and um, I, I was I've hitchhiked back to Montana from Canada and had a pretty terrible stutter as a result of this car wreck, mm. and uh, I ended up finally within about 24 hours, calling my mom and dad and telling them that, you know, that I had a car wreck and that we had a, a very terrible time in the mountain, but I never told them what happened, really. Wow. I ne- never, I locked down my near-death experience because I didn't know what it was. There was right. no one, I didn't know even how to think about it or, or how to look up a book on it. Right. I didn't, I didn't understand it. Never had knew, uh, never had known anything like this. And so... I then went on a, a theater tour immediately. I, I'd been in a, a, a production um, that we ended up doing 24,000 miles and 64 shows wow. all over the western United States. And it was like th- within a week I was on tour. And um, <laughs> I, was a, I was a wreck. Yes, uh, yeah, young and <laughs> foolish, right? <laughs> totally, totally. And, 
Um, I, I spent a lot of my time on this tour in the back, outside in the back of the pickup truck by myself. We had a 15-passenger van, too, but I, didn't, I couldn't go in it. I couldn't face people. I had to be alone. Mm. And I spent most of my time thinking and meditating and trying to figure out what had happened and resolved never to speak about it because it was kooky to me. It happened to me, and it was crazy to me. And I didn't understand it and didn't have any language to speak about it. And so then I, I ended up um, pursuing a divinity degree, a theology and uh, a systematic theology and a degree in the history of mysticism at Yale in order to create some sort of construct inside myself, language and system, systematic thinking, so that I could conceptualize and therefore understand what had become of me because uh, my whole world had shifted. I, I live in this dual reality constantly like many near-death experience people where I have one foot right. in this world and one in the next, right. and most of me didn't come back. I lived sort of disjointed with time and space um, and didn't know how to communicate that. I kept it to myself uh, for decades. Now, you didn't even tell your partner when he said, I, you know, you were dead and then you came back? Uh, no, I told him nothing. Oh, wow. <laughs> he, he babbled on for quite a while about me being dead, too. Um, and then the, the first pull Did you the think that you just had a dream or and no I, oh I didn't tell him anything mm. no no he no he knew I was we were both I, I, we were both trained he was less trained than I was in, in wilderness first aid I was he was better ice climber I was better uh, in wilderness first aid and, but he knew enough to know when a person was dead right right um, and so he was mighty surprised <laughs> when I came back but I that's why he st- he stopped saying, and you were dead too. I th- I thought you were dead. Wow. Now, did 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 you ever talk to him at, since then about what happened? No, I, 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 that car wreck that next day um, destroyed our relationship pretty oh. badly, oh. and that's all. That's all in the book. And um, yeah. and then I I'm went still on still reading your tour. book, so I have to finish. You'll reading get it. to that. You'll get to that place. <laughs> um, th- then I went on this theater tour and. Um, and that was the last, pretty much the last I ever saw of him. I saw him one more time, were we? But I won't tell you what happened. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Wow. So so tell us about Divinity School. When you were studying this, did you ever talk to any of your professors? No. Or question them about what is, what's nope. heaven, what, what happens? Um, well... We, you know, it's divinity school, so <laughs> so everybody's talking about God in heaven. Right, right, but, right. And you're sitting but, there thinking, I talked to him in person. <laughs> yeah, I kept my mouth shut. I oh. was, I was kind of the, uh, I was the, I was the strange one in my class for sure. Everybody in my class had three point nines and four point when they got to school, and I didn't have that. Um, but I had. I had other skills, and um, so my 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 uh, social and cultural and creative upbringing set me apart from the student body. Uh, many of them, anyway. But my practice of my constant practice of yoga and meditation put me out as an oddball. Um, and I didn't go to chapel. I would I would go study in the in the library when everyone else was in chapel. Mm. I, didn't, I I never felt I had to go to chapel. I couldn't <laughs> escape God. God is a constant. It's like okay, that's great. You guys can go do that. I get the library by myself. I get the focus. Um, and if I could just shut this crazy God thing off, I'd be happy. Um, but I learned. I learned. I went to divinity school to study the history of Christian 
Western mysticism. I, I'd had some. I'd, I'd read the Vedas and the Upanishads and lots of the Eastern works uh, all the way through college, uh, but I needed something that was in my tradition that was seriously deep, and so I dove into the a lot of the writings of the mystics, mm. and in those writings um, found language. But also, I was the only one in the school studying that. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. So, so you're a present-day mystic. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of was born that way anyway. Um, that, that's another story. But, but the near-death experience really kind of supercharged it. So you didn't share this until when? Until recently? Well, when? I mean, well, 1980, I told, where we're talking about I told about. my wife. I, I okay. told my wife the night before we got married which was entirely unfair of me, having not warned her before. Right, right. But she didn't have she, much of a choice at She that didn't. Point. By then it was too late. And, um, I mean, she's wonderful, but she's, you know, don't do that. If there's a listener out there, don't do that to your spouse. Um, so I kept it to myself other than my wife, Michelle, um, till there were, I was a church pastor for 18 years, uh, ended up in this super-duper re- resort town here where I still live uh, on the coast of Maine, big sailing place, and, and there was a huge embezzlement in the church where I was serving. Mm. And it took us many, many years of great trial and tribulation to figure out that there was an embezzler and then um, find out how, you know, prosecution and all this. But, mm. but in the meanwhile, the church um, was very mean to me, very difficult to me because of the money problem. And um, right, I, right. I was the whipping boy. It was pretty bad. Right. And um, at the end of it all, one Sunday morning when we had prosecuted and when the church was in the process of healing, somebody said to me before church as I was mounting up in the pulpit, Peter, how did you endure all those years where we treated you so terribly, where this was just an awful thing? And I, I decided to tell him the truth. It, mm-hmm. How did your faith... You must have great faith and great belief," he said to me. And I'm like, no, no, I've been I've been basically lying to the church all these years that trying to help them believe, which I still think it's important to believe. But near death people don't believe. They know, no. right? Right, and and it's an entirely different thing. The 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 I, I describe it as my my spirit, my soul, my my experience of God is like a circuit board here. And the the belief capacitor and the hole where the belief capacitor went into, the hole's gone and the capacitor's gone. And in its place is something else. And that's that's knowing that I'm known by God. So so what do you think about, uh, so, so in terms of that, when you're being a pastor, so do you see uh, Jesus or Buddha or any of the prophets as God, or do you see them as Only, enlightened beings? I, I choose not to define that way. I, I have no problem with the resurrection because, I, because I'm a physics head, and I think that multidimensionality and multiverses and quantum mechanics and superpositioning and all the crazy stuff that's happening in cosmology and, and, and quantum mechanics are make it indicate that there are other dimensions. Right. And so that Jesus rose from the dead, yeah, I don't have any problem with that at all. I, I believe in the resurrection, but well, you only, rose from only the dead. God is... <laughs> well, well in a, not the same way according to no, the story. No, but, no, no, I know. But, but, but that is true, right? But, you rose well, from I the did. dead. <laughs> yeah. um, and, um, but, you and Lazarus. But God and, is real. God, yes. is, God is love. God is real. That's all I know. And, and I'm not so interested in theology. I mean, I study theology. I, right. I read the Bible. I, I try to communicate, but I, um, I try to learn. But 
but only God is God. And, and, and God has no being, and God is not male or female, and God is no thing. And anything that we say that God is, God isn't, right. because everything we use a word for as a descriptive describes a thing, and only God is not a thing. I, I perceive spirit or God as energy. You know, that's how I kind of relate to it, is sure. I see it as energy. But I guess the most important thing that that needs to be taught to this whole world is that there's many paths to God and and to fight over religion is so ludicrous when you know that everyone has the same you know is loved by God right you talked everyone about is, that that's that's the thing of it is love is the operative here it's not my theology or your theology it's, right it's do you love I, I carried love with me when I died all the love that I gave away and all the love that had been given to me that I gathered up. And that was my strength, um, because God was love. And God loved me. With a, and the love that I shared and the love that I gathered uh, emanated from God's love. Right. It was all from the origin, uh, all the love in the world. And so love is, love is the operative thing here. You know, we've got, we've got people fighting huge wars over the afterlife, ISIS. They're right. fighting about where you go when you die. Right. Um, and, the, and lots of Christians are, are willing, and I think we have to stop ISIS because they're the enemy of the world. But, but on our side, people are, you know, my, my belief system, my way of getting into heaven, my, you're not in, and, and, and you yeah. are, and, and, and that's not our choice to make. Right. Um, God is the one who, God is the one. Yeah. Um, I'm, not, I'm not powerful enough to make that kind of decision. Yeah, so I want to go back to when you told the parishioner how you... Well, I were, told the whole congregation. Oh, you, you, you got up and you did a whole sermon on that, and what happened? I extemporaneously told the story from beginning to end, and um, the church was in tears, and I was in tears, and, um, and within a week, six other people from my, my coastal town had come to me and said, uh, I died in, an, in, an, in a car wreck, or I died on the operating table, or I died at childbirth, and I've never told anybody about it. And so I began this process of, of coming out of the closet over and over and over again as a near-death experienced person and, and talking to other NDEers and helping them find their voice uh, to tell the truth that God is love and God is real, and we're, we're wayfarers here, we're passing through here, and that we have a responsibility to love each other. Even if we don't like each other, right. we can still love each other. Right, and know that we're all really part of God, or God is part of us. And yeah. God is, we are, we are made, we are created beings made by the divine, and, and therefore emanating from, in the image of. Right. So you decided all these years later to write this book, Heaven is Beautiful, How Dying Taught Me That Death is Just the Beginning. So um, what took so long <laughs> to write well, this? <laughs> that's a good question. People do. Yeah, I, uh, well, I kept, it, I kept my mouth shut for 20 years. Yeah. And then um, after I came out of the closet, I, I switched careers, basically. I went into television. I've got this two-minute television show and Sunday morning radio show, and, and that took up a lot of my focus. I ended up working with a bunch of people in New York City who, who I told my story to. And they, if you go to peterpanagor.com, you'll see a book trailer. Mm -hmm. And the book trailer was produced two years before the book was even written. Mm -hmm. And, and they, they, 
promise to, we'll make the book trailer for you, but you have to write the book. We're going to make you write the book. <laughs> yeah, really, really. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> well, and, 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 you know, that's the way you can reach so many more people. You know, I well, mean, that's, that, that's what's so important. And uh, so did you ever talk with Raymond Moody, Dr. Raymond? No, no, I didn't talk with Raymond Moody. Um, I talked to Kenneth Ring. Mm-hmm. Um, Kenneth Ring um, and Life After Life. Yes. Which is how I learned that what I could, what I had was a near-death experience. Kenneth Ring was in that book somehow, in the foreword or something like right, that. And I, right, He was in Connecticut, so I called him. I read the book, I called, and I saw that he was at UConn, I think, and I called him up on the phone and said, hey, I, I'm down here at Yale, and, and I can I bother you for a few minutes, uh, tell you my story, and uh, you tell me whether I'm a near-death experiencer, and I told him, and he said, yeah. Yeah, beautiful. Like, ah, this is what it is. Yeah. So, it's just wonderful. Well, we are just about out of time, so I want to mm-hmm. just make sure that people can can read your book and enjoy it and really feel better about their own future, because mm-hmm. none of us are mm-hmm. going to get out of here alive, at least in, in the right, same Jim. way. <laughs> That's right. So heaven, the name of the book is Heaven is Beautiful, How Dying Taught Me That Death is Just the Beginning. And if you could just give your website, Peter, that would be great. Peter. Panagore, P-A-N-A-G-O-R-E, PeterPanagore.com. And they can find uh, about your book and more about all the wonderful things that uh, you've learned and can teach them. So we're so grateful, and we will keep in touch, okay? Thanks, Mari. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining us. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM and Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. Join us every Monday morning at 830 and visit our website at ConflictHealing.com. Thanks. Some people die for love And I believe it's true Cause I do the same for you The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.